Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am now in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to cover verses 1 through 13 in this audio. I'm going to call it Pray in Tongues at Home, but Prophesy in Church. The context is this. Paul is talking about problems in the Corinthian church in verses 8, 9, and 10. Chapters 8, 9, and 10, he was talking about the problem of eating idle meat and causing brothers to stumble. In chapter 11, he talked about the fight that was going on about head coverings. And and in that same chapter, he dealt with abuses of the Lord's Supper, people getting drunk and eating, too, filling themselves up while other people going hungry. Then in chapter 12, he talked about factions, and we need to all exercise our spiritual gifts as one body. So he emphasized one body as he talked about spiritual gifts. And then he emphasized love in chapter 13 because people who were abusing other people with spiritual gifts by not letting them speak was not showing love. As he, as likewise, eating idle meat to cause a brother to stumble is not showing love. Likewise, as getting drunk and stuffing yourself before the poor brothers got to the Lord's Supper, that's not showing love, and so forth. So having finished the love chapter, we start now at 1 Corinthians 14.1. Paul says, pursue love. Yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, love is the way that spiritual gifts are made effective, of course. The immediate preceding context is the famous love chapter, as I just said. And let's read the last verse of chapter 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And then he says in verse 1, chapter 14, pursue love. If the greatest of faith, hope, and love is love, well, then pursue love. Then he says, yet, that means this is a matter of concession, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Notice that Paul never, ever tells them to quit using spiritual gifts. In fact, he says, desire them earnestly. And then he makes a distinction among spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Why would he say emphasize prophecy over the other spiritual charismatic gifts? Well, that's because prophecy will edify the whole church. And that's his theme here is we're all in this together. And it's a body that works together. We need to edify the whole church, not just you. And let me repeat this. Just because our, our spiritual gifts are inferior to love, that does not mean we should not desire spiritual gifts. If you have spiritual gifts plus love, and that's what you need, then the spiritual gifts are a tool to minister love to other members of the body as you help the body grow up in itself to love and to the head. There, I have never seen such a false dichotomy in my life as this. Oh, if you speak in tongues, you don't have love. How many times have you heard that? I have. Oh, you just talking about tongues all the time. You don't care about love. I remember thinking, you know, I was thinking when I was just involved, getting involved in charis the charismatic movement when I was in college, I was thinking, well, I must not love anybody because everybody keeps saying, I don't, speaking in tongues means you don't have love. It's nonsense. Paul never says that speaking in tongues is something bad. He said, I speak in tongues more than you all. And then he says right here, desire earnestly spiritual gifts. He's just trying to say that love is better than all that. But it doesn't mean it's just like I'm saying, steak is better than hot dogs. Steak is better than hamburgers. Are we going to do away with hamburgers? Well, of course not. Now, once again, I need to make the point about prophecy here. We're going to be talking a lot about prophecy. Prophecy is not the same thing as teaching. It's amazing how many people say that. For example, here's a quote from an old commentator, a set of commentators, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. Our modern preaching is the successor of prophecy, but without the inspiration. Mm -hmm, without the inspiration. In other words, prophecy's gone. All we have left is preaching. What well, by preaching, what he means is teaching. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. Notice that the speaker in tongue speaks to God. In the next verse, we're going to have prophecy speaking to men. A little contrast there. And 
because a speaker in tongues speaks to God, not to men. That's why tongues is better suited for private prayer rather than public meetings, because you're praying to God. It's your private devotional use. Now, Paul says here, when one prays in a tongue, he does not understand, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. That means his mind is not operative, as the NIV Study Bible correctly notes. And that's why Paul calls speaking in tongues praying in the spirit as opposed to the mind. Now, that has implications for dichotomy and trichotomy, because if Paul makes a distinction between spirit and mind, the spirit is the part that communicates with God directly. The mind is a, something separate, separately that thinks and reasons and feels and has emotions and such. Well, then you got a problem there, don't you, uh, dichotomist? It sounds like trichotomy to me, although I don't think that's the most important issue to get balled up in, but it does sound like trichotomy to me, and ironically, most of the people who support trichotomy will never... Quote this verse, and I'm getting ready to quote you. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 15. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. There's a clear distinction there between spirit and mind praying. Well, if you're a trichotomist, that suits you just fine, doesn't it? But trichotomists never mention this, probably because they don't know anything about speaking in tongues, unfortunately. 15. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. There's the distinction again, praying with the spirit and praying with the mind. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the mind. There's the distinction. Singing in the Spirit and singing in tongues. Praying with the Spirit is praying in tongues. And the reason it's called praying in the Spirit is because you're not using your mind when you pray. You speak mysteries. Now, of course, it's not mysteries to God. He knows. He knows everything. But it's mysteries to us because it's like a foreign language to us. We don't understand it. Now, both John Gill and Adam Clark say that this the tongue speaking that's going on here is Christians speaking in Hebrew. Now, that's wild. That's nonsense. That's crazy. It just shows that even the most brilliant people in the world can come up with some real lollapaloozas of dumb ideas. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. And this is the but. There's a contrast between tongue speakers speaking to God, speaking mysteries to God, a prophecy, a prophet prophesies to men, not to God, not mysteries, but he prophesies for edification, exhortation, and consolation, of course, which means the prophecy has to be understood. And if, it's, if you're going to edify somebody, you've got you to make yourself understood. And, of course, this is the main use of prophecy. There is no foretelling mentioned here by Paul. We know that some prophets did foretell, like Agabus, famously twice in the book of Acts, once before the three missionary journeys and once afterwards. He was a Jerusalem prophet. Prophets do tell, foretell the future, but really here Paul doesn't even mention that, edification, exhortation, and comfort. For example, somebody's going through a particular problem, somebody's running them down because they are stupid, let's say, and then you don't know this and you prophesy over that person, God says that he's given you the mind of Christ. And then all of a sudden that person says, yeah, that's right, he's edified. You notice the prophecy doesn't contradict anything the Bible says, it just encourages somebody. And those who don't want to do prophecy, who insist that prophecy is teaching, you just cut out some a gift of the Spirit which would help people, which would show love to people, which would encourage people, which would edify people, which would exhort people. We go now to 1 Corinthians 14.4. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Edify means build up, make strong. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. And there's another contrast, the himself versus the church. Tongues is for private. Tongues is for you. The prophecies for the church. Now, this verse says that you speak in a tongue edifies yourself. That's why one should speak in tongues. And I know non-charismatics and, uh, and cessationist types will say, oh, but tongues is not for everybody. God distributes the gifts where he will, and he didn't distribute the gift to me. Well, no. What he distributed to you was a bunch of 
theology, which he expected you to reject, a bunch of narrow-minded, inside-the-box, hocus-pocus, hokum theology that says that tongues ain't for everybody. What, does God just love charismatics and Pentecostals more than he loves everybody else? The people who speak in tongues speak in tongues because they look at the Word and they say, that's for me, I want it. And they get it. It's just as simple as that. So you edify yourself, but when's the best time to edify yourself? At home, not at church. But there's another contrast there. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. So the contra contrast is between edifying yourself with tongues and edifying the church with prophecy. Now, when the when Paul says that the tongue speaking in a tongue edifies himself, it means it edifies the spirit. Actually, as the NIV Study Bible points out, because the mind is unfruitful. In that verse we just read, in verse 14, the mind is unfruitful. Well, if the mind is unfruitful and your mind is not edified, the NIV Study Bible goes on and suggests how tongues do edify. They edify your emotions. They edify, your, they edify you by deepening your convictions. They edify you by making you f more fully committed to the Lord. They edify you by creating greater love in your heart. That sounds like a charismatic guy insinuated himself on the editorial staff of that particular NIV study Bible because that's exactly what tongues do. Now, why would you want to throw away a gift, cessationist, that builds up your emotions, deepens your convictions, makes you more fully committed to Christ, and which gives you greater love? I cannot imagine. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Let me repeat that. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. But even more that you would prophesy, and greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. Now, when I was looking into this stuff, when I was in college, I ordered, I think it was eight or nine, I think it was nine anti-charismatic booklets and books and things. This was before the Internet. They all came to my house, and I start reading, reading them, and over and over again, see there, prophecy's great, tongues is lousy. Prophecy's great, tongues is lousy. It never occurred to me back then, well, if prophecy is so great, how come you guys don't practice it? You guys who are running down tongues constantly, how come you never practice prophecy? You haven't got the right to run down tongues unless you're prophesying in church. But no, they, no, that's just teaching. That's done away with too. Now, the reason that the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues is because Paul is talking about a church meeting. And well, of course, prophecy is greater than tongues in a church meeting because prophecy is for edification of men publicly, not oneself. It's edifying. It edifies the church. Paul does make a concession to tongues in the church unless he interprets, if the tongue is interpreted, which, in my opinion, makes it equivalent to prophecy. I've never been able to, to distinguish tongues and interpretation. seems to me the same as prophecy. And he says, unless he interprets, why should the tongue be interpreted? So that the church may receive edifying. Now, remember, all this context here is the church. It's not in your private devotions. Now, when Paul says, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, we have a problem of harmony here because in 1 Corinthians 12, 30, Paul says, all do not have gifts of healing, do they? Expected answer, no. All do not speak with tongues, do they? Expected answer, no. All do not speak with tongues. And here said Paul says, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Well, there's a couple of ways you can answer that. Well, before I do that, let me go to another verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 23. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues... And an ungifted man or an unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? Well, Paul has just finished saying in 1 Corinthians 14, 5, Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, and then drop down to verse 23. He says, if you all speak in tongues, people are going to think you're crazy. Well, Paul's not stupid. He's not going to make write two verses that close to each other that blatantly contradict themselves. 
And I think the way that you handle this is when Paul says, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, he meant, I wish that you would all speak in tongues privately, because when you pray to yourself, to, to God, and to edify yourself, pray to God privately, but not in the church. There's another way you can reconcile it. You can say that Paul wants everybody to speak in tongues, but not all at once in the same meeting. In other words, tongue and interpretation first week. Second week, another person prays with a tongue and interpretation, and pretty soon the whole church ends up having a tongue and having an interpretation. If you say to me, well, that's impractical because the church is so big. Well, was it really? They all met in houses. How big is that? So at any rate, Paul does not contradict himself. I prefer to believe that when he says, I want you all speaking tongues, it means I want you to pray in your private devotions, not in church. Because what the Corinthian church was doing was getting all excited. If, you ever, if I've been to some of these old-fashioned Pentecostal churches, when that's exactly what happens. People start praying in tongues, jumping around, jumping from pew to pew, and going, you know, the Holy Roller type churches. That's exactly what Paul did not want. Now, of course, the, that type of stuff is mainly emotionalism, culture, and habit. Well, I don't think there's a lot of spirit in that kind of stuff, but here... Paul is saying, I want you all to speak in tongues, just not in church. What, do you, what should you do in, in church? You should prophesy. And again, if you want to criticize tongues, well, then how about go out and prophesy in church? Oh, well, prophecy died out too. Oh, really? Where does it say that prophecy died out? Prophecy has, hasn't died out. Prophecy must be judged. As we see in our next portion of chapter 14, prophecy should be judged, but it's not to be forbidden. Despise not prophesying, Paul said somewhere. I forgot the verse. Now, who should prophesy? In this verse, verse 5, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says even more that you would prophesy. Now, that you in the Greek is plural. You all. And in fact, it's parallel with I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you all would prophesy. Well, you got the same problem. Everybody prophesies. Everybody prophesies. How do you reconcile that with 1 Corinthians 12, 29? All are not apostles, are they? No. All are not prophets, are they? No. Well, if all are not prophets, how can Paul tell, say that I want you all to prophesy? And then in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, he says, let two or three prophets speak, in which he limits the number of prophecies. That's not all. Two or three is not all. So how do you reconcile it? Again, I think he's saying that the gift of prophecy, anybody can manifest it, but just don't do it all in the same meeting and step on one another and preclude the teachers or the healers or the miracle workers from doing their thing. By the way, this idea of prophecies it tongues is not a good gift to exercise in church it should be private you know you could say the same thing with the other gifts too do you teach yourself well probably not you teach others in church how about healing do you heal yourself probably not and how about this what if it, if you're in church and there's nobody sick is the gift of healing a greater gift and it's worthless actually it's not doing anybody any good because nobody's sick now one more point before we leave verse five now i wish that you all spoke in tongues paul says i wish that word wish is not so much a wish or desire, but it's more like a command or a permission. So here it will be like a command. I want you, I expect you, that you all spoke in tongues. A little bit stronger than wish. Those words are hard to translate in English as well as Chinese, I've learned. It's very confusing. Verses, verse 6 through 7, and we go to 1 Corinthians 14. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? So if you just get a flute and go, and you don't make any distinctions in the notes, you, nobody's going to listen to that. It's going to be chaos. It's going to be nonsense. It's going to be a waste of time. 
And so Paul uses that analogy to say, if you go speaking in tongues to everybody in church, they can't understand what you're saying. It's just like listening to a flute or a harp. Somebody's just going drum, 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 drum on the harp without making music with it. So speaking in tongues to, without interpretation to a bunch of people in church, and they can't understand what you're saying, you might as well be playing a flute with one note or a harp with one note or with one chord. It's stupid. Now you notice he says, that you can profit. He says, what will I profit you unless I speak to you by way of revelation, knowledge, prophecy, or teaching? So in the meaning, we need to have speaking done that can be understood. Now, he mentions four types of speaking, one of which is teaching, of course. That goes without saying. But the other three types of speaking that he mentions are revelation. That means a word of revelation, a prophetic type word. Or of knowledge. That means a revealed special word of knowledge, not intellectual knowledge that comes from teaching, but spiritual knowledge. Like it's a, it's a charismatic gift. Prophecy, again, it's a charismatic gift. The revelatory gifts, I wouldn't make too much of a distinction between them. A revelation, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, prophecy, tongues and interpretation. The whole point is something is being spoken to the audience, to the brothers and sisters that they can understand. But notice, we're going to be cessationists you're not only going to knock out tongues, you're going to knock out revelation, words of knowledge, and prophecy. You're going to knock that out too. And Paul said that those things will profit you. What will I profit you unless I speak to you by revelation, knowledge, and prophecy? Sure, teaching edifies people. I believe, I, teaching is my favorite gift. I believe in that. But Paul says that in addition to teaching, revelation, knowledge, and prophecy will profit you guys in Corinth. We go to verses 8 and 9 of 1 Corinthians 14. For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. So Paul continues with another analogy. You listen to a bugle that goes, you can't hear it. It doesn't go, it doesn't have any distinction in its tones. It's just a blah indistinct sound it's just it doesn't communicate anything to you likewise tongues is not going to communicate anything to you you need to you have speech that is clear intelligible and tongues is not intelligible to the listeners which makes me wonder why john gill and adam clark say tongues is hebrew because hebrew would be intelligible to the listeners no tongues is not a known language it's not hebrew i can make an application here to the latin mass now i realize that the 1963 catholics gave, I think it was optional that they give the Mass in a native language, but before that it was all in Latin. And I used to wonder, why would people go to a Mass, a church service, and listen to Latin? They can't understand it. I went to an Armenian Orthodox church once near Chicago, and I sat for two hours and watched the play, all done in Armenian. I couldn't understand a frippin' word of it. Neither could anybody in the audience. They just sat there like ritualistic morons, automatons. That's not going to edify you. That's not going to edify anybody. We need to be edified by speech that is clear that we can understand. Speaking in tongues to a whole group of people without interpretation will not be understood. So don't do it, Paul says, unless there is interpretation. And I would say the implication is unless don't only two or three do it because he, he limited prophets to two or three. I suspect he meant the same thing for speak, tongue speakers that are speaking openly with interpretation. Only two or three. Let's just don't take up the whole meeting and listen to you prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14, 10 through 11. There are, perhaps, a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. Now, barbarian back then did not have the pejorative 
connotations that it does now. It just means, I think the word came from the Greeks called people they listened to foreign languages. They heard bar, 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 and so they said, oh, that's a barbarian. It's just like when English-speaking people imitate Chinese and they don't understand Chinese, this is what they always do. They go, ching, chong, wong, ching, chong, ching. They emphasize the, the short, punctuated stops of every syllable. But if you ask Chinese people, once they get past their shyness, because apparently it's pejorative a little bit, say, well, how do, how do you imitate uh, English speakers? Giggle, 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 then they'll go, something like that. It's real smooth and rolling because to us, our language sounds smooth. But it doesn't matter whether it sounds smooth or whether it sounds choppy. We sound like barbarians to one another if you don't understand the other language. And again, Paul's making the point. That's what speaking in tongues sounds like to everybody else in the church. Ching, chong, ching, chong, wong, wong, ching. Doesn't sound like anything. So, don't do it. Now, it's interesting in verse 10, he says, there are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world. I would think it would mean there are certainly, definitely a great many kinds of languages in the world. Well, the NIV translates it that way. Undoubtedly, there are undoubtedly a great many kinds of languages in the world. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown says, no, it's perhaps. Well, there you go. When you go from one language to another, you have problems in translation, and we all sound like barbarians to one another. I don't know what the best way to translate that is. I don't really care because it's a minor point, but it just, just goes to show. Foreign languages are hard to understand even when you're speaking in a known language. You speak it in an unknown language like tongues is, you're not going to understand one another. Now, the NIV Study Bible makes what I think is a very poor point here. Well, they refer to other people making a poor point. When Paul says there are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, some see this as indicating that tongues were unlearned foreign languages. The idea is Paul is saying, hey, there are many kinds of languages in the world, and speaking in tongues is just another kind. Well, Paul never said that. No, 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 that's not what it means. For one thing, if you're praying in a natural foreign language, let's say I'm praying in Chinese. Oh, jeez. How do I edify myself praying in Chinese? I'm not going to. I can barely do it. Paul says that when you pray in a tongue, you pray by your, you pray to God and you edify oneself. How are you going to edify yourself praying to God in Chinese? No, it's a spiritual language. The mind is unfruitful, but the spirit is fruitful. We go to 1 Corinthians 14:12. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Now, does Paul say, stop doing these spiritual gifts? You're abusing, abusing them, so just, just get rid of them? No, because Paul understood the principle that the abuse of something does not bar the use. Like the Latin theologians used to say, abusus non tollit usum, the abuse does not bar the use. He never says that. He says, since you're zealous of spiritual gifts, I'll give you a million dollars if you can tell me where Paul says quit using the spiritual gifts. In fact, did he not just say in the first part of this section, desire or seek earnestly spiritual gifts? So not only does Paul never tell them to stop using spiritual gifts, he does exactly the opposite of that. He says, desire earnestly spiritual gifts. What part of these four words do we not understand? Desire earnestly spiritual gifts. We go to our last verse in this section, 1 Corinthians 14, 13. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Why? Because we need to edify the whole body, not just yourself. Now, Paul later says that it can be somebody else that interprets the tongue. It doesn't necessarily have to be the tongues, the one who speaks in a public tongue. 1 Corinthians 14, 27, he says this, If anyone speaks in a tongue, he's talking about in the church, it should be by two or at the most three, 
and each in turn, and one must interpret. It says one must interpret. That could be somebody else besides the one speaking. Ladies and gentlemen, I have finished 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 13. We will continue with this topic of speaking in tongues and prophecy in our next audio. I hope you stay tuned for that one. I hope you enjoyed this one.